Welcome to New England Alive. It is December 15th, and we are doing an episode with Rick Horton, the owner of Outlaw Brewing Company. I've been extremely excited to get you on this show. Um, Rick is our sponsor for New England Alive. Thank you very much. All of our people that come in this studio, crack them open. Love it. And drink them. I, I, you know, I haven't counted all of these yet referencing the the four pack caps the the holders uh but i i bet you there's almost 40 here so do the math on that that's what we've had thank you that's a beautiful thing it is so so rick welcome well thank you where did it all start i'm just i'm just diving right into it oh boy tell us about outlaw brewing company how it started and you know where you're at now well we uh the, the idea started back in uh 2010 2011 and uh i had a crazy idea that i wanted to sell beer and um i had a friend who had some some dollars and i'm like hey let's start a brewery and he's like you can't start a brewery in winchester it's never gonna work so how many beers did you have while you were thinking of <laughs> starting a brewery <laughs> well this is a, a good friend of mine who i taught to to brew he wanted to homebrew okay so uh i had taken 10 years off from homebrewing and uh, i'm from the seacoast uh originally and uh, a good friend of mine Owns Jetpack Comics out in Rochester, New Hampshire. I uh, had my all my brewing equipment, and he had it for ten years wow. in his basement. Um, and he's like, "Hey, my wife wants us out of the basement. Can you come uh, pick it up, or do you want me to just give it away?" I'm like, "Oh, don't give it away." So I went and picked it up, and um, there was plenty of dead mice in it and all that <laughs> good stuff. So, um, but I never real I forgot how much equipment I owned. Like way back when I was home brewing back in the uh, the nineties, right. um, we had kegs and we had carboys and we had all this stuff, and yeah. um, we made a lot of beer as home brewers. And when I gave all my stuff to him, he kept it all and continued to brew, and then stopped, and uh, the stuff just sat in, in the basement. It became and a mice hideout, huh? It did. So. Um, <laughs> There's a story. Here there is a story because there were dead mice. And I'm like, what am I going to call my brewery? Someday I'm going to have a brewery. It's going to be three dead mice. Three dead mice. It didn't happen. Hear no evil, see no evil. Yeah, right. yeah something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we um, a friend of mine, we brewed together. And, um, again, I kept trying to pitch the idea to him. And I started the conversation with uh, New Hampshire Liquor Commission. They um, had laws and rules and things like that. And I'm like, you can't have a brewery in a residential house or residential property. So that kind of was thrown out the window. And uh, then I thought, wow, what if I just bootleg this stuff? If I have oh, a, here we go. Yeah, if I have this little room in the house and people just kind of knock on the door and they know the fridge has beer in it and they just leave the money... Um, I'm like, I could, I know people would go come, but would they pay $10 for a six pack of beer at that time? I, I was like, no way. Well, so I mean in 2000, this was what, 2011, 2012. Yeah. 2011. What were, I'm not, I've, I've only lived here two years. What were people paying for a four pack of craft beer back in that time? Uh, so there was primarily, um, just macro breweries, you know, or, micro breweries there was sam and sierra nevada and those guys sure. and um yeah they were under ten dollars a six-pack so as a small brewer being able to make it for that is a very short amount of money margin right. wise right. but you know would people pay for it if you know they were going to drive down a dirt road and um show up at somebody's house and buy beer and i'm like i don't know if that's going to work so it kind of went on the back burner for a good many years and um you know, 
at some point I decided that it it could really work. And <laughs> back in 2016, lots of things were happening in, in the beer business. Um, new breweries were popping up. People were talking about breweries. We got a distillery in town. Right. Um, you know, and I, I uh, was good friends with Robert, and we talked a lot about alcohol. And he's like, you know how to make beer. You should have a brewery. And um, which was a wonderful conversation. And at the time, uh, he had some property right on Main Street and had talked to me about uh, putting a brewery right on Main Street. I went through the motions. I looked at the money. I we talked a lot about it, and um, it was feasible. But I wasn't. It was outside my comfort zone. You know, it would be a couple hundred thousand dollars to upfit a property that I don't know if it's gonna work. Right. So so you're going through these motions of okay, where do I want to be? Right. Out. The, obviously, the concept and the the dream of wanting to be your own boss be a brewer, brew amazing craft beers, right? What were you doing for work while you were dreaming this whole thing up? <laughs> I spent 20 years in the motorcycle business. Okay. So um, from the motocross side of things and representing motor, uh, motocross companies out from the from the uh, West Coast, uh, No Fear and Spy and um, Renthal, and we did this whole motocross thing. And, um, so I was an independent sales rep and then I got picked by up by distributors and started working with them. And in the very tail end, I was a uh, national sales manager for, um, a company based out of Bangor, Maine. So we did okay. snowmobile, ATV, all of that stuff. Cool. So, you know, I, I essentially ran my own business other right. than it was somebody else's product. And you did a lot of market research back then too, because I mean motocross, snowmobiling, those all, you know, at the end of the day, it's a lifestyle, right? It right. all entails beer. Yeah, and other things. I mean, I'm not trying to put emphasis. I mean, I came no. from the yacht business, right? But the yacht business is synonymous with cocktail, mm -hmm. right? But you get a hot day and you're out doing motocross. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I can't say we didn't drink a lot of beer. Unfortunately, um, it wasn't the the best beer in the world. So, <laughs> well, I didn't say it was great. It was but, quantity, not quality. Yeah, but I think even back <laughs> then you were probably scheming in your head, right? Even if you weren't actively thinking about it, it was there, right? So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, process. One of the things that. I enjoyed about the motorcycle business is I was involved with a lot of brands and uh, young brands that were just starting up or old brands that were trying to evolve and stay relevant. And um, to me, that was the most exciting part of the business is these brands that became, um, you know, like take Fox for yeah. for instance, it's a lifestyle. People just they get they get tattoos of that on yeah. their body. Oh yeah. Um, which, as a side note, I have had that happen. Somebody has my logo on. Oh, I thought you were yeah. going to tell me you have a Fox. No, I do not. No tattoos. Okay. No tattoos. No, no, no. Nope. How'd you get through life with no tattoo? That's especially in that business. Yeah. Nope, nope. Uh, I made it through the Navy without getting one. I got one oh. in my late twenties. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep. So, two thousand sixteen kind of going through these motions, maybe Main Street, maybe not, just mm -hmm. couldn't really figure it out, didn't didn't know enough about things. So when does the current facility and property, when does that happen? Um, October of 2016. Wow. We started digging a trench from the house to what was my cabin, right. which was 12 by 16, and that was going to be the brewery. Again, everybody's like, are you out of your mind? That's too small. You can't do that. Even the state was like, don't quit your job. You can't make enough beer. <laughs> it's funny when you have the state telling yeah, you that, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, 
a good friend of mine, uh, Jason, he uh, neighbor, um, came down with his his tractor, and we just dug a big old trench, and then it began, and we got water and electricity out to this this cabin of mine, and then we started jacking it up. We teared the floor up. And we had to uh, winterize it. It was just a cabin, right. you know. It was just a place to sit around and and drink beer and oh, sit yeah, by the yeah. the fire or whatever it may sure. be. So um, it took me all winter to to renovate that thing. Lots of help from 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 friends, but um, you know, some cold nights of you know swinging a hammer and I don't know dreaming about. I wonder if this is really going to work. And, um, oh, yeah, I mean, I think as all of us do, right? I mean, yeah. you've been at it a lot longer than I have, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feel your pain. I'm yeah. 11 months in now, so yeah, but, yeah, but. we're uh, four and a half years, so we're in our fifth year right now. And I, I do remember making that decision to to build this thing on my own property, mm-hmm. and the reason I did it is, um, so I can be honest, I've I've lost it all more than once. Like I've I've tried to start businesses more than sure. once, and you know, ended up um, having to go work for somebody because I had to pay the bills. And um, this time I'm like, I'm going to do this right. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to walk away, if it doesn't work, with zero debt. Right. So I did it on my own property mm-hmm. and did it out of pocket. And, um, again, nobody thought it would work. But, you know, uh, January of 2017, we ordered our brew plant, which um, was a one-barrel brew plant. Uh, 31 gallons at a time. And uh, again, people are like, it's too small. You're gonna, all you're going to do is brew. You're never going to be able to make enough beer. They were kind of right. You just stop sleeping. You just brew a lot. Yeah, sleep, um, sleep on a floor. Yep. Uh, I bought my original, very original fermenters up in um, uh, Burlington, Vermont. They were surge tanks uh, that came out of uh, an ice cream factory. So you can only imagine where they came from. Um, I'm sure they were from Ben and Jerry's at some point. And some mice have run through those as well. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, So, um, we still use those tanks every once in a while for Mm -hmm. small batch stuff. So that's kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, sometime hmm, in May, the state came out to inspect our place. So the really interesting part of starting a brewery is, um, you can't get approved until everything is built. Like, you can't even be like, well, what do you think of this? Do you think this is going to work? They're like, no, you have to finish it all. Talk about rolling the dice. Yeah. They wow. don't, they don't, um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of interesting. So, so you bring up something, right? Like, I, I love talking to people that have started businesses and, you know, I've, I've started a few myself, that, mm-hmm. some that have been successful, some that haven't. <clears throat> do you think that? Because you're talking about staying, uh, to me, you're talking about scale, right? And and staying small and keeping it manageable, right? Mm-hmm. My impression of you, Rick, is that you've kept it small because you wanted to focus on quality, right? And 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 scaling up slowly mm-hmm. into where you are now, right? I mean, you make some of the, um, how do I say this? I, we I, make I, I don't beer. want You make great beer. Well, yeah. thank you. I don't. I don't want to screw our sponsorship. <laughs> no, you make great beer, and and everybody talks about you guys and and the events that you do and the additional things that you have on the property, the food truck, right, right, yeah. And there's a lot happening down there. There is. There is. We we have a you know we're a destination, right. and um you know I've I've grown slowly, faster than I ever imagined we would, and sometimes uh, faster than I'm comfortable with, but um you know we stopped 
um, any real advertising other than social media right. and um, made sure that, you know, all of our engagements were really strong and quality and uh, we didn't buy any likes. We just let it grow organically. Right. And the key to it for for me is I'm, I'm, I'm building an experience more than I'm building a brewery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the people. Um, I say the, the people in the place are the most important ingredients right. um, in our our. Our, not our beer, but our uh, our brand, and that you know, kind of looking back, those are the things I learned in the motorcycle business. You know, I spent a lot of time watching this lifestyle happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's all right; he can edit that. It's no big deal. <laughs> I'll disinfect uh, the mic later. Right. So <laughs> good. Um, yeah the the lifestyle and and I think that's where you really build a really strong following. Yeah, no, totally. You know, uh, Harley Davidson didn't build their brand on um, the most amazing motorcycles. No, they built it on this lifestyle. You know, and um, that's where we look at for for my company and my my brewery and my brand and. Um, it, it should be the long term, you know, it should be there right. for 20, 30 years. And we were just having this discussion today. Cal wants to get in and do some sales, right? And and he was trying to figure out for me, like, I sold stuff to people that didn't need it, right? So how do you, how do you, how do you get them to purchase, right? right? And And what do I say? It's all about creating a relationship, right? It's all about selling the lifestyle. It's all about... People buy right? from people. People buy from people. And, and if you just spend the time to get to know somebody... And they spend the time to get to know you and your product. Mm-hmm. They're always coming back to you, right. and you have that. Right. You know, it's um, when I first started selling beer, right? Selling quote selling beer. Um, I promised my wife that I would never beg anybody to take our beer. I said right up front, I'm not going out there and you know going to a restaurant and saying, um, "Please take my beer." Because we don't need to do that, and that's not what I what I wanted for the brand, right. and it's held true all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, people um, buy into our brand if they put it on tap; they own that tap line, and they're like, "Look what we have! This is great! We have uh, Outlaw and the store. They know the story behind us. I'm sure most of them have come out and hung out at, at the brewery, and I've, you know, shared the whole experience so that when it's on tap in their um, restaurant, they know the brand." So, you know, we're very fortunate to be on tap a lot here in Keene. Very, very fortunate. So how many, I mean, any notables here in Keene? I mean, how many, how many restaurants are you in? How many? Uh, so we are um, full-time at Poorhouse with several, uh, several lines. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at Luca's in the Cans. Um, Local Burger has us on almost all the time. Um Lab and Lager, they have us on rotation. Uh, let's see, who am I forgetting? I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, 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 I'll get the list from you, and I'll make yeah. sure that in this episode yeah. I put the whole list, and we'll tag all those people. <laughs> yeah. In, right? yeah. I'd love so, to have some of them come in here and, and talk about their businesses. And, yeah. You know, you know I've, I've been very fortunate to be um, accepted into uh, the food and beverage business here in, in Keene and all of the owners and uh, bar people and all of that have really aligned with us and, and they're proud to have our beer. And if we're not always on, then we're on sometimes and that's okay. You know, we can, we can be what's new, you know, right. uh, if, if it's not this week, it's next. Right. Um, you right. know, COVID kind of kicked the heck out of our, um, our wholesale business. We had, 
prior to COVID, we had 30 tap lines running at various restaurants, um, either full-time or on rotation. We had a lot of wholesale business because that's how I started the business. I didn't have any retail. Mm. We, all I did is make production beer. And every Friday I would deliver beer. And some Fridays I'd deliver a lot of beer. And then be like, okay, next week I got to brew a lot of beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were up all night long for days on end probably doing that. Well, what was interesting is, you know, I had, had a real job. So we started, you oh, know, yeah. um, 8 o'clock in the morning. So I'd have to start brewing at um, 2 o'clock in the morning to be done in time to start my real job. So uh, I would often sleep on the floor in between processes. Yeah. Uh, my wife actually put a pillow in the walk-in cooler so that I could have a cold pillow. So that was nice of her. But <laughs> she was very understanding through those times when it was all work. And that's all it was, was work. So when did it, when did it become full-time? When did you finally leave the corporate world behind? And So it was supposed to be something that took a couple of years to, to get there. And um, about six months in, uh, I said to my wife, I said, hey, I think I got to quit my real job and do this thing full time or I've got to scale what's happening with the brewery back one or the other. She says, quit. I, I'm like, huh, that's kind of scary. Oh, you have an amazing <laughs> wife. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. And she did the same thing. She went from uh, being a full time uh, hairdresser for 20 years to going back to school uh, and becoming a respiratory therapist and switching careers completely. And, uh, you know, going through the whole, um, you know, having to, to not be employed and only focus on uh, her education while we raised five kids together. So, well, well, I mean, she's in her late 20s. So, I mean, it was a great time to go back. <laughs> so, I'm trying to get some brownie points yes, here. Yes. So She might listen to this. Huh? Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, I think it's a good story. It's, but she knows it. So, probably not. So, yeah, it was about uh, six months in and um, I went up to uh, Bangor, Maine. And um, I flew up, which my um, uh, we're getting there. Pre- previous boss was nice enough to, to help cover expenses for me to fly up there. And uh, I, at the end of the day, I sat, said, hey, can we chat in the, the conference room? He's like, yeah, no problem. We sat down, and I said, so i got to give you my notice. Now, remember, this is, well, you don't know. Um, this was my forever job. Mm-hmm. I finally had found a company that I could work for that I worked for the owner that's it. Nobody else. And when we made decisions, it was making decisions for the owner and the company. And uh, I loved what I did. I absolutely loved it. But then I found something that um, just happened without effort. It just happened. And um, when I told him that I had to quit, he's like, uh, I didn't expect that. He says, but can you stay on to the end of the fiscal year, which was till the uh, end of March? Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him, I said, I will stay on. I'll take care of the sales team so that you guys can find somebody. And uh, I will um, be double dipping, though. I'll be working my, my brewery and that. He's like, no problem. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, with that at all. So on April 1st of 2018, I became unemployed. Or self-employed. Well, self-employed, right? <laughs> There's a difference. I do remember that time, too. I may remember every day looking at my phone saying, it's, who's looking for me? There's got to be somebody looking for me. Why is my phone not ringing? Why why'd my email not go off? Um, and, I, it, and it was quiet for, well, probably about 60 days, and then it started my stuff coming in right. all day long. So, right. And at that time, from, from April 1st through uh, the beginning of June, I built um, an addition onto the brewery to give us retail space. 
and uh, so that we could have on-premise sales. And uh, it was, I built all of it. I framed all of it, the whole thing, um, did all the landscaping, uh, all the excavation. And uh, on June 2nd of 2018, a year to the day from the first day I delivered beer, um, I had a grand opening. I had a ribbon cutting. I had all these things planned. And the day came, and there were four people at the ribbon cutting. I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what was it? Are people going to show up? But I was happy because somebody did show up. And then the day just um, turned into a wonderful day. We were super busy, and I uh, had some friends help out that day, uh, Dylan and Naomi. And, um, boy, it was uh, we sold a lot of beer. Mm-hmm. Now, if I think about a lot of beer back then compared to a lot of beer now, right, it's a, right. Diff- a different animal. So. so you don't, you mean you don't strike me as somebody that, yeah. So four people show up at your grand opening. You don't strike me as somebody that dwelled on that. You just said, okay, fine, I'm just going to keep going. You strike me as that kind of guy, right? You you deal with adversity in a different way, and and that way keeps and makes you successful all the time. Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, being in sales for so many years, um, you learn that you don't hit a home run every time. You just have to calculate um, either what you're going to do if you don't or minimize, um, you know, what your exposure is from that that failure. Plan for the result. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've built my business based on – being able to say, yep, we're going to try that. Mm-hmm. Oop, that didn't work. Or that was a home run. Let's do that again. Or let's learn from that. Why did it work? Right. Um, small business, um, you know, we've seen a lot of small businesses fold up over the last few years or last year and a half or yeah. so. But even before that. And um, I'm always, for me, it's sad to see businesses close, especially small businesses. Because... That's their dream. That's their life dream. They have put their put it all on the line for this lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. And then when you have to close, uh, the dream's over. Right. So some close in, in a good way, and they've succeeded. They did what they wanted to do, but now their life has changed. That's okay. But the ones that fail um, and have to close down, and, you know, um, sometimes it's because of circumstances, and it's out of their control. But... Um, if you like it or not, I'm going to say it. It's, uh, I think a lot of small businesses are, are afraid to evolve and change and kind of kind kind of roll with it. And yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think there's a, I think they're afraid of risk or more risk, right? They've taken a substantial risk to open this business that they're kind of fearful to to create more risk for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, if you've done it once, right, you can do it again. You just keep evolving and scaling, but right. you do it at your own pace, right? With your own money, I, th- I think, I think there's people out there that have never started businesses that think we just, you know, make a ton of money and you know, yeah. I mean, we don't, right? right I mean, it's, right. I can hear what you've gone through with the brewery. I know what I go through on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, you're making a good amount of money doing what you're doing. I bet, and you know, to yeah. just. Say, you know, see you later and start this up. I mean, that takes balls. And raising five kids. Oh, yeah. Right? So um, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, the check doesn't come in <laughs> every week. Yeah. 
And, you know, I planned ahead. I got real lean on debt mm-hmm. and um, knew that I had to, to um, be in control of um, my decisions instead of um, selling beer on um, survival. I needed to sell it for what it was supposed to be sold. Like, this is why we do this. Right. And it's not about selling a lot of beer. Yes, I have to pay my bills, and that's what's important uh, on the business side of things. But it all happens. You know, at the, at the brewery, every single weekend, we count how many people come through. And um, we, we don't look at the register. Uh, I never, ever run a sales report midday. Never. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just let it all happen. And if I can look and I can see, wow, we've seen a, a few hundred people today. It'll be good. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, we'll, 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 you know, or if not, and the numbers are low traffic wise, I'm like, all right, why is that? What, what, what's different? You know, is there another event going on? There's a, a story behind everything that happens in the brewery or in, in your business. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, if, you know, you look back and you're like, how come we had a, a bad November? Oh yeah. Like all the communication lines were down. So you would, you know, that's, that's the, the uh, that's bandwidth is your business, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so are you pretty analytical about, uh, you know, your business? Do you, do you, do you lay in bed awake at night still and think about, Oh, maybe I should do this or, Oh, oh we can do that. Yeah. 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 Those they, wheels are always spinning. Aren't they, they? they don't stop. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that. I wake up about two o'clock every morning and I'm like, okay, how can I make sure I get back to sleep? So what do you do? Do you, um, do you just file it or do you have a pad and paper next to the bed? pad and pen? You write no, it down? I don't write it down. No. no. And I forget most of it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I wake up and I write it down or I grab my phone and then I, then it's all over with at that point because yep. you've gotten a bunch of emails and yep. you're like, okay, now I'm up. But yep. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So this is blowing me away right now. Uh, the chocolate stout. Thank you. Well, Thank you for bringing this, by the way. <laughs> this is really good. And that's a, that's a new one for us. So we've had that chocolate stout on for... Oh, a couple of years now, but we've never put it in the can. And um, I bought a high-speed canning line this year, and uh, we are now canning all of our uh, labels and trying to um, increase that. So uh, chocolate stout, it's that, that time of year, and um, it goes well with our peanut butter beer, which you've, you've had on here. So I, um, I think, have you had this with the cider? Oh, I don't know. You don't know? Actually, I'm not very adventurous when it comes to beer. I mean, I'm kind of thinking. I brew a lot of fun beer, but I don't always. Yeah. Go ahead. uh, There was a, I used to live in Albany, New York. There was a brewery that did a a peanut butter chocolate stout and a raspberry ale. And they would always say, mix them together and it becomes a peanut butter and jelly. Which um, at the brewery, we have a raspberry peril that often people put with the peanut butter. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested to try it with the two. Because so, that's my favorite beer, honestly, from you guys is the is the white stout, the yep. peanut butter. It's so good. On site, we can layer them together. So they actually uh, pour like a black and tan. Oh, And they're sick. completely separate. And the science behind it is awesome. And if you ever told me I could make two beers float separate from each other, like a perfect line, um, I'd be like, there's no way we can ever do that. And um, one day we tried it, you know, a few years ago, and I was like, it works. It completely works. So how'd you feel the next morning after figuring that out? Because, I, I mean, I would have been pouring. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Drink. Pouring. It is our most photographed beer. Is uh, yeah. We call it a please and thank you. Please and thank you. That's amazing. 
Yeah, and awesome. I, everything is, I mean, I like quality things, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm willing to pay more for quality. Um, and, and, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your customers tell you that too. Yeah, yeah. And right. a lot of our customers tell me that uh, we sell our beer for too too cheap, like too not enough money. Because we are on the low end of um, uh, the scale when it comes to putting our four pack next to somebody else's. Yeah, or, we also don't have the overhead right. that those are. And I, you know, I, yeah, I've figured out where I want to be, and I want to be there for the long term, and um, that's where we fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do it for the community, right? You, you half of you stops doing it for yourself. I mean, really, you want you love seeing people drink your beer out in, I, out in town, right? I, mean, I can remember the very first time I went. And ordered my beer on tap. Um, I mean, you have to put aside the thought that, all right, I've already paid for this beer a couple times. <laughs> so now I'm going to go buy it. But it, it was amazing. You know, I went, um, it was at the flight deck, who used to oh, be yeah. where uh, at, at um, the airport. And Tracy was awesome. She was my first tap line um, when I was building my, my beer. And I said, in another month, we'll have beer. She's like, when you're ready, you just bring me a keg. And a tap handle, and let's do this. And uh, we we were on tap there the whole time she was open. And uh, I went there and ordered my beer and watched some airplanes fly around. And I'm like, life is good. I just ordered my own beer on tap. So while you were sitting there at the airport drinking your own beer on tap and enjoying it, <clears throat> were you able to tell the make, model of every airplane coming and going? Um, I'm not that good, but I can pretty much figure I know most of them. Okay. Because a lot of them I know who flies them. Right. So so this is interesting about Rick. Uh, I kind of had an inkling that you had some aviation in your background when I saw your watch. Yeah. Yeah. But And then inside of the old brewery, right, that is now a gathering point and mm-hmm. retail and all that, you have, uh, you have a lot of airplane propellers and gauges or clocks and stuff like that and my mind my eyes get lost every time i go in there it's i could just give me a beer and let me sit there alone for like an hour and that's what that's one of the things that um was by design you know i'm I'm like i love places that you can show up and be like i never saw that before or you know so we're always adding little things on the wall and yeah i mean i in the month of time between i was first there and i went back for your holiday party, I mean, I was like, "What's going on here? Yep. This is nuts." But you're a you, you have a love of flying. I do. I also have a love for beer. Can somebody get me a beer? Yeah, sure. What do you want? Another cranky would be great. Cranky, sure. Hold yeah. on. Maybe I can leave my headphones on while I do this because oh, it's within arm's length. Now. <laughs> we should uh, we should say that our whole fridge is basically stocked with all of your beer. Well, we appreciate that. Cranky. I did see what's in the door, though. <laughs> we don't drink that. We don't touch that. I don't. I drink I drink all yeah. that lot. Yeah, no. Well, I brought some more today, so. No, we appreciate it. I mean, we we still have some excess up on top, but, you know, you know, we're trying to do, I don't know, a few of these a week. And everybody that comes in, they, they get an outlaw beer, and they sit down, and they're like, wow, this is, yeah. And it just relaxes people, right? Yeah. You know, after 5 o'clock, you get to enjoy a nice craft beer and put some headphones on and just talk. I mean, that's, this yeah, is the, what it's all about. And so my wife is a podcast junkie, and um, she loves true crime podcasts. So uh, I will be honest. I, I struggle to 
to actually have that much attention span to listen to to a podcast. And um, people that have ridden in the car with me are like, do you ever turn the radio on? I'm like, no, the radio's <laughs> off. Why? You drive around without the radio on. I'm like, yeah. How else am I going to think? <laughs> Well, this is true. I mean, there's some truth to that. Everybody's yeah. different, though. So, um, but I have listened to every episode uh, of uh, New England Alive, and uh, love it. That's good. Yeah. We love we love to get good feedback. Yeah. yeah. If it was bad, I'd want to know too. So. Yeah. No, no. 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 It's it's super interesting, and um, you know, most of the people that you have on, I I know mm-hmm. or know of them, um, and um, you know. The topics are great, and so we're super psyched to be part of it, but also now to be on. Yeah. Well, and, and we've been waiting for you to get here. So, you know, like Luca, when he was here, dropped off his uh, guys' grocery games yeah, uh, yeah. poster over there. Um, we've got some outlaw brewing stuff coming too. So All right. you're gonna you're gonna be a fixture on that wall. I like that. I think we've talked about uh, possibly some upgrades into this room next year uh, when you and I talked. Mm-hmm. So there will be some some fun stuff coming for our guests in the, yeah. in the new year. But uh, I want to hear about flying because this is – I was in the Navy. I worked on F-14 Top Cats. Nice. And and I, I, mean, I never got a ride in one, but I always thought I'd be a pilot until I saw what it cost to go to Embry-Riddle and then yeah. how much money you'd make, like, right out of school. It'd take you for – I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to the yacht business. But uh, how'd you get into this? My dad um, was a pilot. And uh, we spent most of our childhood at the airport. My dad uh, started building a helicopter in 1972 when I was born. Uh, not because I was born. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was born. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Who knows? But, um, you know, by the time I was 10 years old, um, he had a shop built that he was, you know, building fiberglass molds and welding up this frame. He was really into it. Like this helicopter he built from scratch. And there's a lot of kit planes right now and um, that type of stuff. But most of it is already engineered and you're like, oh, you buy these pieces, you know, to put these together and then you could do this. My dad got it. It was raw materials and he had plans. And I actually have the book of all the conversation that he had with um, the guy that designed the helicopter. Because they didn't email. He wrote them letters back and forth. That's how they got information, back and forth. What year was this? Um, or yours? Years? Uh, it was in the 70s. Because you and I are pretty close in age. Yeah, I'm uh, 27. Yeah, I'm 47. So. <laughs> We're not close in age. Yeah. No, actually, I'm older than you. Okay. I'll be 50 next year. Oh. I tell my kids all the time, listen, I've had more birthdays than I'm going to have, so let's have fun. Yeah, got to. Well, you own a brewery. Right. And you're a pilot. So, uh, yeah, dad built a helicopter and, uh, you know, we were known in, in the neighborhood and school of the, you know, the kids that have a helicopter in their yard. And, um, I remember when he finally took it to the airport and he was going to, um, now start flying this thing after building it for 10 years. And, um, my uncle, uh, drove a tractor trailer so he came over with this low boy uh trailer and we put the helicopter on the trailer and we drove it and the people were that were just watching it go through town was just it was amazing the whole thing was just awesome and uh we got it to the airport and my dad did a lot of you know test flying with it now mind you my dad was a, a private pilot but he was fixed wing so he flew airplanes um he never flew a helicopter 
and he was going to teach himself how to fly a helicopter, Oof. which he did. He wow. succeeded in doing. Well, it's good he succeeded. Yeah, um, <laughs> not a lot of people do. But during the process, there was a lot of testing, and um, my dad had hired a test pilot. Um, he was a, I believe, a um, an Air Force test pilot, and he would take the thing up, you know. 2,000 feet and um, kept complaining about a, um, a vibration in the helicopter and my dad just couldn't figure out where it was and um, so that guy left and my my parents didn't have a lot of money it's probably because my dad was building a helicopter well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a, a home-built helicopter yeah, no less yeah. right um, I mean the things my dad did for this helicopter he I mean he converted a um, uh, an airplane engine to fit in the helicopter. And, you know, he designed all of this stuff. It was amazing. And, um, which I'm super proud to, to talk about my dad. Cause he's, uh, he was, he was pretty much an asshole growing up, but, uh, he, he was, did some amazing things. So, um, at, at the end, um, before he passed, we, we got a lot of time to just talk about flying cause I was training at the time. Um, so this helicopter that my dad built, Finally, he pulled it from the airport, and he was in a uh, somebody's field, and he lost his medical because because of diabetes. So he really wasn't didn't have a pilot's license anymore. So he was just flying around a field, and um, backtrack just a little bit. He would fly around my uncle's field, and he this helicopter didn't have uh, upturned exhaust. So when he would uh, come down off a of hovering, he would land, and it would shoot three foot flames out of the thing. <laughs> He lit the field on did he fire. Call it, did he call it afterburners? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He lit the field on fire. So that was always a, a fun memory of, of growing up, wow. trying to put a fire out in, in a, you know, a two-acre field. That did was the fire department a, ever have to come? Uh, they showed up, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah they didn't think that was very they funny. No. But um, my dad was flying this helicopter and still trying to find that vibration, and um, it finally shook the, the helicopter apart and he was about 15 feet in the air and um it came came undone um one blade went one way one blade went the other way and he crashed it and the dream was over um he was safe one small cut um but the whole thing went up in flames and uh you know my dad never never flew after that do you have a picture of that helicopter i do can you text me a picture of that i will yeah I, yeah i'm gonna need that for yeah Yep, my dad. I actually have the plans for that helicopter too. Uh, my wife had had um, framed it, and it's on our wall at home. So, Sorry, are you thinking yeah. with all that property you have over no. there, you might want to? No, helicopters. <laughs> they, there's a lot of moving parts in those oh, things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but not only moving parts, but moving feet and hands yeah, and everything else. I mean, I mean it's, we do a lot of that similar stuff in yeah. a fixed wing. But um, yeah. you know, my whole adult life, I had always said, I want to get my my pilot's license. I want to get my pilot's license, and um, it was never the right time or I didn't have the money. So it's time or money, yeah, right? It's, it's, it's always a thing. Yeah. And um, so fast forward, you know, let's see, 42 years old, 43 years old, and uh, all of a sudden um, I had money. Like I had, it, it snowed. I was in the snowmobile business, so made some, some big um, commission checks and, um, I finally said, you know what? I'm going to go take a lesson and were get started. You, were you eat what you kill in sales? Say that one more Were time. you an eat what you kill salesman? Uh, were you straight commission? Straight commission. Yeah. 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 My whole life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. And I have, you know, I talked to owners. I'm like, you should, your employee should be straight commission. My mom was um, uh, piecework. She worked mm -hmm. in a, a shoe factory. 
So she was straight commission. Yeah. You know, I, I love it. And, yeah, no, you know, I'm, I'm that way, way now, go. right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's what That's we do what, now. Exactly. Um, and uh, so I went over to uh, Monadnock Aviation over at Dylan Hopkins. Yeah. Um, Beth, I had bu- been buying um, aviation gas, uh, Avgas, for my son's race motorcycle oh, yeah. for years. And she's like, you need to you need to take some lessons or go up for a introductory flight. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. It's not right. It's not right. Not the time. Not the time. And uh, actually, my wife had even bought me a, a scenic flight, you know. And I tore up the check. Oh, I'm like, I'm not wife. going. Like, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not going to learn how to fly. I'm not going. So uh, I showed up, and um, Beth was like, "Do you want to do a introductory flight?" I'm like, "No, I want to start." So I got the logbook and off we went and started flying. And that first day flying, I can remember thinking, I am never going to be able to do this by myself. I was just going to ask, yeah. My instructor, we took off. I took the plane off. I'm like, oh, it's all right. And then um, he's like, all right, do you see, um, you know, Surrey Dam over there? I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) How about, uh, you know, Mount Snow? Nope. I have no idea where I am. And uh, that went on for most of my training. I was like, I, how am I going to find my way back? Um, and we went up and he did all the things, you know, he's like, okay, so he reaches over and puts the engine idle. Engine just went out. What are you going to do? I'm like, what are you, I don't know what to do. This is my first time in this airplane. What an instructor. Yeah. Holy cow. But, he just um, started throwing it at you right away. But that's what it's all about. You right. know, he, that instructor's there to overload you and mm-hmm. try and figure out if you're going to be able to handle emergencies. Right. Because that's what you train for is emergencies. Right. You know, flying an airplane, you can learn how to fly an airplane, but um, when things go sideways, what are you going to do? Do you mm-hmm. know how to handle it? Do you know what to do if the thing starts on fire, if the engine goes out? Or, um, you know, w- what are the things you're, you're going to be able to do to um, not die? Right. Because you just can't pull over. Right. Right. Exactly. No, totally. So. Well, that, that, I find that, you know, aviation is very similar to the boat and yacht business, too. I mean, you're, you know, all of these big boats, big yachts yeah. that we were selling had multiple systems on board. And it's not like they have brakes. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> oh, you lose an engine backing into the dock. What are you going to do? Oh, not hit it. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's wild. It, it's, I always wanted to try flying. I mean, I have been up in a plane before. I've you know, yeah. flown on a lot of different things, but I've never actually had the opportunity to take controls of one. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yep. Let's figure out how to record so we can get all the audio. <clears throat> we, and, got, uh, we got, should we go do a podcast in the, uh, in the airplane? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah. No, we're doing this. Yeah. We are totally doing I'm this. I'm totally into it. So um, we're not allowed to drink though beforehand. No. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Not at all. No. Um, That's awesome. So flight training was super fun for me, but it was very challenging. And one of the things that was wonderful about flying is you can't multitask when you're in the airplane because you're multitasking to fly the airplane. Right. So when Airspeed, that, heading, compass. Right. When that phone goes off, you don't care about that. There's no more, oh, I got to check my email. I got to check my email. Nope. When I get back on the ground, I'll check the email because we got to fly this plane and, and not crash. Um, which was relaxing to me. It was a, a moment to be able to let go of all the things that were going on on the ground and right. get to fly this airplane. Um, I remember one day about four months into my training, 
um, in 30 hours, I couldn't land the airplane. Um, it just, uh, I was struggling with that portion of it so that I could solo. And uh, most people can solo, you know, in 10, 12 hours. But, you know, I was in my 40s, and um, my hand-eye coordination wasn't like when I was, you know, 20. Right. So learning these things. And you do have this fear when you're approaching the ground that I better do everything right, and then sometimes you do everything wrong. But I remember paying my bill and Beth saying, so how was it? And I wouldn't even talk to her. I said, I'm all, I'm all set. I'm all done. I left, and I, was, I quit. I wasn't going to do it anymore. I was just throwing money at something I couldn't do. And uh, she let me go for about a week and a half and then called me and said, Rick, you got to come back. You should be flying. Uh, I know you're struggling, but I got some ideas. We got a different instructor we want to send you up with. Um, I'll pay for all of it. Just come back and fly. One more lesson. Give us one more chance. And uh, I went back, and um, we did it. Like, we got over the hurdle. And um, I started, you know, back with training twice a week. And uh, in nine months' time, start to finish, I had yeah. my pilot's license. So was it, the, was it the instructor, do you think? I mean, sometimes people have a different experience with others, right? Um, it was like he finished, I finished training with him. He was, he was pushing me hard. I walked, when I first got in the airplane for my first lesson, he says, uh, I only expect perfection. So anything else, you're not, you're not doing it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> and um you know it was intense and i flew every monday and every friday um and what does that cost i mean what so to get your license uh it's about fifteen thousand dollars it's really i mean in the grand scheme of things it's not a huge amount of money i expected more yeah honestly because i i've looked into it because for a long time that's what i wanted to do for a career so I, yeah I, I worked for southwest for a little bit and decided that the whole industry wasn't for me, but I still, I still love airplanes. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're, um, I don't know, I, it, like I said, I, it, it is a lot of money, but it's not, a, um, an unobtainable amount of money and you pay for it like as you go. So right. if you take a lesson, you pay for it. You don't have to be like, yeah. okay, here's 15 grand. Poof. Um, and one of the things that happened for me is I got a scholarship, after I was able to um, solo the airplane, I applied to a scholarship. It was the, um, oh boy, now I forgot the name of the scholarship, but I will get that to you. I can remember how to fly a plane <laughs> and fly the glide slope, but yeah. I can't remember the scholarship, right. the one thing that um, paid for. I believe it was Blue Sky. <laughs> and um, this gentleman would pay for half of your, all of your expenses once you soloed till you got your, your ticket, till you got your check ride. And wow. um, I promised him when I got the scholarship that I would always give back to aviation. So when everybody, anybody is like, I would like to go flying. I'm like, yep, let's do it. Let's go fly. Cause, um, that's my way of giving back is taking people flying. I've taken kids flying. I've taken, um, people that are afraid to fly. I took my brewer <laughs> flying one day. We're sitting there having coffee in the morning. I'm like, okay, let's go to breakfast or we can go to work. Like we can go start brewing beer or we can go to breakfast, but we have to fly there. He's like, why do you got to do that to me? <laughs> He's afraid of flying. So we went flying that day and, and uh, went to breakfast, and it was, it was awesome because I was able to share something um, that a lot of people don't get to, to see the world in a small airplane and um, learn about why the airplane's flying and you know um, maybe even put your hands on the controls and be like, okay, this is what it feels like to control an airplane. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, three years, I um, actually taught over at Northfield Mont Hermon um, in the summer and taught aviation to some um, middle school kids. So that's great. That I, I love it. I love sharing aviation. And you sh- you love sharing bear too. I mean, it, right? I mean, it's it's nice to get to a point in your life where you can just you know share all of your experiences with others. It is. Right? It is. It's um, you know I was just in the last couple months here I was able to um, speak to a business communication class over at Franklin Pierce and and then um, shortly after that um, a class over here at um, Keene State and for me to be able to share the stories of the things that I've been able to do um, or fail at or whatever it is is wonderful and I, I really do enjoy sharing that and it's not because I like to talk about myself although that's not horrible um, <laughs> oh I, I want you to talk more about but yourself, it's, but it's I have a bunch great, of ideas for future yeah, episodes yeah so. I, I like to, to tell the stories you know and, and uh, there's lots of things that have um, got me here in this room um, and uh, the people that I've met along the way, and um, I've been a, been a part of uh, either their businesses, like Luca, um, it, it continues to, 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 to give back, and it's wonderful. So uh, what's your definition of fulfillment? Fulfillment. Hmm. You know, every day I get up, and I'm at the brewery at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't get home from from the brewery at the very earliest eight o'clock at night. Most times, especially when we're open on the weekends, it's ten ten thirty, and um, every day I enjoy what I do. Uh, I love the people that I meet, and um, to me, that's what it's all about. Um, the bills are paid, and you know, yeah, I own an airplane. But it was a you know sub ten thousand dollar airplane, and I never get to fly it because I'm always working. <laughs> Double <Don't laughs> sword. Um, you know that thing is another thing I like to share with people. It's yeah. what's all about. So um, people and the things that uh, I can do to um, hopefully share some some knowledge and and um, some happiness with people is is really what fulfills me. Awesome. Well, we're gonna finish it up with that. All right, and you're gonna you're gonna have to schedule some time with me to come back. Because, Absolutely, I'll, anytime um, you want. I'm, I'm I'd love to. Uh, this is great. Yeah, no, it's just and this is what it's all about. And so. I'm drinking beer. Yeah, well, you can have one more, two more. You know, <laughs> whatever. We got a whole fridge full of Hot Lab Brewing Company. So New England Alive, unscripted, uncensored. We just like to get everybody on here to tell their story, talk about things that are happening in their lives and their businesses, and you know how it all started and where it's going, what the future is. Uh, New England Alive is brought to you by our sponsor, who is here tonight, sitting across from me, Rick Horton of the Outlaw Brewing Company in Winchester, New Hampshire. If you haven't had a chance to visit them, please do. He has an amazing facility, an amazing team, an amazing piece of property, and his beer is always cold and always phenomenal. You can visit them online at theoutlawbrewingcompany.com. You can visit them on Facebook at The Outlaw Brewing Company. Rick, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.